Today on the Mind Maladies podcast is Dr. David Smith, a psychiatrist and psychopharmacologist who runs his own private practice. Alongside this, he is also a professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. His main areas of expertise are mood disorders like major depression and bipolar disorder, anxiety disorders, and attention deficit disorder in adult patients. And if you guys didn't know, this is actually the second time I've had Dr. Smith on the podcast. The first time we discussed technology and innovations in the field of mental health. Make sure to check that episode out before diving into this one. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, we are joined by Dr. David Smith. Um, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you, Jashen, for having me on, the, on, the, on your podcast. And yes, my name is Dr. David Smith, and uh, I'm a psychiatrist, um, and my specialty is called um, psychopharmacology, which is um, uh, basically a fancy way of saying I'm a specialist in psychiatric medication. And I have a private practice in Palo Alto. And in addition, I'm an adjunct professor over at Stanford Medical School, where I teach um, psychopathology, uh, the, the different psychiatric disorders to the, and treatment to the Stanford medical students. So that, that is who I am. How do you describe your field of psychopharmacology and how has it changed, um, especially with the development of COVID-19? Oh, that's interesting. So, you know, so uh, psychopharmacology is kind of a subset of psychiatry in general, because psychiatry is a um, medical field. You know, a lot of people, I didn't even know this when I started medical school, <laughs> kind of the difference between psychiatry and psychology. So for your listeners who maybe are, that's a, that's, a, they may not be aware of it. Um, psychiatry, we're medical doctors. So we, we go to medical school um, mm-hmm. as opposed to psychologists uh, who have a PhD. So they go to graduate school. And um, we, there's a lot of overlap in terms of the types of problems and the types of patients um, that, that we see. We're very closely related to each other. But in psychiatry, our, um, we're a little bit more biologically oriented. Um, and there's, uh, we have more uh, access to um, uh, specific biological treatments, like in my field is medication. Um, but it's, uh, it's changed a little bit in that psychiatry it used to be either you did talk therapy or medication, or sometimes both. Um, but the past, you know, I'd say about 10 to 15 years, there's really been an emergence of newer options um, that are that uh, are particularly biologically related treatments that are not medication. Um, we the, the big category is usually called neurostimulation type treatments. So these are things like um, electrical or magnetic stimulation treatments to the brain um, that can improve psychiatric, depending on what the illness is, psychiatric symptoms can get better. Um, and that's another kind of treatment treatment arm. And then to your question about um, you know COVID, well you know the pandemic has I think been very stressful on you know just about everybody um, in in you know one way or another. And um, stress is a factor for um, the onset of or or amplification of psychiatric symptoms for depression, anxiety in particular. And so there's really been an uptick, unfortunately, in, in diagnosis um, of, of depression and anxiety through the pandemic. So um, most, most of people in my field have been very busy <laughs> um, this past couple of years. So today uh, we're going to be addressing the topic of schizophrenia, right? Yeah. Um, so in your own words, how do you describe schizophrenia from your own perspective, not like a biological definition, but just your point of view? Oh, okay. Well, that that's a big question. I'll try, I'll try and give you a short answer. So, um, you know, schizophrenia is a, is an illness that's in the category of what's called psychotic disorders. 
And that means that uh, people who have schizophrenia, the core problem of schizophrenia is a problem with ability to um, tell what's real from what's not real. Kind of the classic symptoms that people may be aware of are hearing voices or having delusions, thinking things that aren't, uh, that thinking things are true that aren't really true. Um, and logic and rational you know, argument won't, won't convince someone out of, a, of their delusional belief. Um, and and when, you, when you look at the, um, the wide ranging, so those are kind of like the more overt symptoms or most obvious symptoms, but there's a whole host of other symptoms that go along with schizophrenia. And the way I like to think about it um, uh, in my own, for my own self when I, when I help patients with uh, schizophrenia, but also like when say I teach, um, teach students about schizophrenia, is that it, it, the, the, probably the most um, uh, uh, kind of core element of schizophrenia is that it's a problem with communication. It's a problem with understanding what's going on around the world, that, what's going on around the patient in the world. And it's also a problem with communication. People with schizophrenia mm -hmm. often have problems expressing themselves, connecting ideas, being organized and conveying their ideas in a way that's understandable to other people. And so it's, um, it's a communication disorder. And that's where a lot of the kind of the current uh, research is on. It's like what part of the brain yeah. is affected with schizophrenia. And it turns out that a lot of it is the language and communication part of the brain. Mm -hmm. So I know there's like rare cases, but of like younger people having schizophrenia. So in those situations, I know it, it's really hard to diagnose, but if that is caught, like the early symptoms, um, how is it diagnosed and treated from that early point? Yeah, so the, the tr schizophrenia is has a strong genetic basis to it, and it has mm -hmm. to do with uh, probably some genes that, that are important in what are called neurodevelopment, which is how those cells actually migrate and connect and the circuits um, as you go through infancy and adolescence, there's a lot of changes to your brain um, uh, that lead to kind of the adult kind of more you know, kind of static brain. You know, and adult brains change too, but they don't change as much <laughs> as when you're a kid and when you're a teenager. Um, and the, the majority of patients with schizophrenia have an onset of symptoms um, um, in their teenage years, kind of late adolescence, late teenage, early 20s. Um, and that's maybe like 90, 95% of patients with schizophrenia, it's that age group. It can, um, you can see childhood schizophrenia, it's less common. You can see kids that are younger than, you know, like 15 or 16 um, have the symptoms of schizophrenia. They, um, they do present pretty similarly with um, the, even young patients like that hearing voices, having delusions, having very odd and, and um, disordered behavior. Um, and the treatment, you can't cure schizophrenia. Yeah. Maybe at some point we, you know, we hope that we can, but we treat the symptoms of schizophrenia. And at, at the current, the current um, kind of first-line treatment is still what are called antipsychotic medications, medications that help, help um, with the circuitry that's dysregulated in, in, in schizophrenia. So there's medications that help reduce mm -hmm. the symptoms. They don't get, take away the illness. Someone with schizophrenia is usually going to take their medication their whole life. Um, and if they, you know, if they hopefully do well on their medication, they can function pretty well. Usually most of their symptoms will be very minimal, but if they come off their medications, their symptoms come back. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, some efforts to treat or the medication, um, prescribed to people with schizophrenia to help delay or 
prevent the symptoms from occurring. Yeah. So are there, um, you also mentioned the study of the brain and how the brain is being studied to see what parts of the brain are impacted from schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. So are those kind of the efforts that are underway to improve the treatment of schizophrenia or is there another class of treatment also being investigated? Yeah, so um, the, the, the two big things are trying to um, reduce the risk of schizophrenia, which is hard because it's probably multifactorial. But there are some things that we know that reducing um, uh, 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 trauma and stress in childhood, uh, the reverse is when, when, when people are exposed to high degrees of stress through childhood, that increases the risk of schizophrenia, unfortunately. So some of it is social, you know, trying to help you know, everybody in general, families, kids, you know, um, uh, people who live in environments that are more stressful. How can we help them? You know, either, yeah. either stress and poverty or other other um, factors that might increase stress. You can reduce the onset of schizophrenia, the percentage of people who get schizophrenia by reducing stress. So that's not a treatment, but you're trying to reduce the onset of the illness. And there's a, there's another factor um, that uh, kind of gets kind of uh, missed sometimes, is that substance abuse is a risk factor for schizophrenia, even for things that people sometimes don't consider as heavy as others, like cannabis use. And you know it's uh, you know it's one of the things that you know now it's legal in California and there's a lot of kind of you know more acceptance for recreational use of, of cannabis or marijuana derivatives, um, but uh, for folks that have the genetic risk for schizophrenia, it does seem to increase the risk, and that's another thing that we try to help younger folks with is like being being thoughtful and intelligent about you know what you know that what the risks and benefits of things that they might do behaviorally. And then if someone actually, so those are things to try and prevent the symptoms in the first place. But when someone has the symptoms, um, it, it, you know, even though this antipsychotic medications go back into the, I think the first antipsychotic medication goes way back into the 1950s, if I remember right. So these medications have been around a long time. Um, the, the efficacy, meaning like how well the medications work, um, is improved a little bit over time, but the main thing that's changed over time is the tolerability, meaning that the medications have fewer side effects. They're easier for patients to take, which is important because you've got to take the medication every day over a long period of time. And if someone has a lot of side effects, they're going to be less likely to want to stay on the medication. But it would be nice to have treatments that work differently, or at least, you know, that might, um, that might work on certain symptoms that traditional antipsychotics don't work as well with, or maybe might be more effective. Um, it, it always seems to be a little further out in the future. Um, like right now, the, the standard um, medications are still not that much different than they were uh, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. So with schizophrenia, there is a big kind of stigma around the topic, especially because schizophrenia is kind of portrayed very negatively in the media, movies, whatnot. So what are the most common misconceptions of this illness? Yeah, so I think that the biggest misconception that, particularly in media, is that people with schizophrenia are dangerous. Um, mm. They might be violent, um, and that it, or that they're scary. Yeah. And mo- most patients with schizophrenia are um, are, are are quite um, you know, they're they're quite easy to talk to, and if anything, they tend to be um, avoidant. Um, like it's you know, they, mm-hmm. you know, they don't necessarily like to talk to other people or be around other people. And they're, they're, not, they're not looking to you know, have conflict or interact with other people. They tend to be, uh, particularly if they're, say, not, not in treatment, if they're having symptoms and, and, not, and not, not being helped with medication, it's a very internal experience. Like they, they tend to withdraw and, and kind of be stuck in their own thoughts. Um, and so that's a big misconception is that um, 
people with schizophrenia are dangerous. And even when, like when I teach over at, at Stanford in the medical school, that's something that I, I try to put a big emphasis on is that you know, most of the people I'm teaching are not going to be psychiatrists because they're, you know, it's the whole, it's everybody in the medical school and they're going to be surgeons and general doctors and pediatricians and obstetricians and all kinds of different specialties. And even they tend to be kind of nervous around psychiatric patients, you know, someone with psychosis, you know, they're not sure how to talk to them and, and, and how to engage and to explain to people, um, uh, both the medical folks, but the lay, lay public that people with schizophrenia, um, uh, you know, the vast majority of people with schizophrenia are not dangerous, they're not violent. And um, it's, it's just a very scary illness. And most people are kind of, you know, spend their day kind of, you know, particularly if they're not in treatment, feeling pretty frightened. And you know, to be empathic um, uh, and, and helpful to people with severe mental illness like schizophrenia is, is, a, is, a, is a big, is something I, I think is very important. I try, I try to mm -hmm. teach people about. That was gonna be my next question. Like how do you approach or talk to someone with schizophrenia and how do you aim to help them kind of? Yeah, so I mean, are you asking like as a doctor or? It, like as, as a friend, as yeah, a person. As a friend or a family member. So, um, you know, it, the, the, I, the couple things. One is, um, you know, don't be frightened. Um, mm. You know, people with schizophrenia do appreciate kindness, just like anybody else. So being kind and you know being open-minded—that's um, number one. Um, and I, the, I think the thing that um, I mean, some sometimes well-meaning people feel that well, if I can just convince, see, like see, convince someone about their delusions, for instance, um, you know, I can explain that. No, you know, aliens are not, you know, spying on them from outer space and, and you know, following them with special technology. For instance, someone with say with um, paranoid delusions might think something like that, and um, it's just it's just not something you can convince somebody out of. And I think sometimes uh, well-meaning friends or family members feel like if I can only just convince the person that, you know, that this is not true and it's implausible, then I'll, you know, then they'll snap out of it. And unfortunately, that doesn't that 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 doesn't work. It, um, it just that the, the way the illness works in the brain, it, it's just not amenable to rational argument. And and so my advice is, if you have a friend or family member, you know, focus on the here and now, and 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 don't try to argue people out of their delusions. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's usually better just not to talk to them about it. And if they want to talk about it, you might say, okay, that must be that must be frightening, or that must be worrisome. And then see if you can talk about something else, um, because mm -hmm. it's, um, it's you know that's that's another problem is that it just makes people more stressed if you're trying to convince them out of their out of their delusion, uh, makes them more nervous. So that's something I would advise is be kind and uh, don't uh, don't don't try and engage about in, uh, trying to convince somebody that what they're thinking is not true because it's it's it, it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, what should someone do if they feel like they themselves are experiencing symptoms of schizophrenia. Yeah, you know, it's it's often a very scary experience, um, and you know, particularly early in the symptoms, um, most people have a sense that something's wrong. You know, before they kind of get kind of fully in, in, you know, kind of fallen into it. Um, and if you know, if uh, if a listener is feeling like they they're having trouble with their thinking, they're starting to think things are maybe not true, and Know, or is what I'm thinking accurate or not? Am I hearing things or am I not? Is to you know is to talk to somebody. Um, you know either you know a family member if you feel comfortable, a counselor at school might be a good person to ask for help, 
or your or your general doc. You know, most pediatricians, uh, you know, for say people in your age group still have a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. Most pediatricians are going to be very kind and and helpful, at least at you know, at least helping the person get to some help. You know, they may not treat the schizophrenia themselves, but they can help the person get to someone who can help them. So those would be the you know family, somebody at school, an adult at school you trust, and or your pediatrician would be yeah. the people to talk to. Yeah, that's really good advice. And moving on to like kind of the logistics of schizophrenia, um, does schizophrenia affect different genders at a disproportionate amount, or would you say it's even across the board? Yeah, so there's a lot of studies about that. And um, the, the, the answer is that schizophrenia is um, equal between mm -hmm. men and women. Um, males and females have an equal um, prevalence of schizophrenia. Although um, men with schizophrenia tend to have a little earlier onset. There's okay theories about why that might be, that they tend to have the symptoms a little sooner uh, at a younger age than, than, um, than females do. They, they, and quickly, if you're interested, the, the kind of leading theory right now is that there may be some antipsychotic effect of having estrogen. Estrogen has a little oh, antidote. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, blocking dopamine uh, in the brain is protective for psychosis. And so there's some evidence that you know, if you're a woman and you're, you're producing estrogen, that that might delay the onset of the symptoms um, somewhat. But if you fast forward to, say, like at age 30, by, the, by age 30, um, you know, it, the, the majority of people who have schizophrenia have had, you know, have had the onset start, yeah. uh, the illness start, and you know, it's, it's about 50-50 by the time you get to age mm -hmm. 30. How, many, how common is schizophrenia oh, that, among the yeah, population? That, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And it's, a, it's, it's one of the more common illnesses. It's about, uh, depending on which study, it, 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 it's about between 1% to 1.5%. And that's true across the world. Um, it's not just the, in the U.S. In mm -hmm. Western Europe, Asia, Africa, South America, pretty much everywhere there's humans, um, the, uh, the risk uh, of the adult risk of schizophrenia is about 1% to 1.5%. Really, that's interesting because I know there's a lot of illnesses where in um, third world countries, um, the risk is actually either higher or lower because of like various factors, obviously. But it's interesting that in schizophrenia, it's the same even across countries. Yeah, yeah um, it, it is. And uh, one thing that is kind of a little like kind of sub, sub um, uh, piece of information to that is that um, the course of the illness, meaning like how, how impairing it is to the person, how, like how their ability to function or not function is actually better in less industrialized um, countries. Uh, the incidence, really? And yeah, but it, uh, people tend to function better in, and, 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 and the evidence there is that it probably has to do with more traditional family, extended family units. If you uh, move okay. around, it's not as crowded. You know, if you have schizophrenia and you live in kind of a rural village in a you know, less industrialized country, you're more likely to have you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and people to help you and to have a, have a role, to help you have a functional role in, in, in your community. Um, you know, if you think about schizophrenia here in the Bay Area, you know, you know if you have family support, you, you're probably going to do okay. But a lot of people, they don't, you know, and they, they end up being homeless. And, you know, a lot of the large percentage of the homeless population has serious mental illness, not, ne not necessarily schizophrenia, but a lot of schizophrenia, bipolar disorders, significant substance abuse problems. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a really tough um, situation because the, pers the, the person in that situation, say like homeless, schizophrenic in San, San Francisco, has very, you know, they, 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 there might be some city support, but not a lot. And their, you know, their level of functioning is going to be poor because they're basically homeless. 
or somebody in a like a, um, a village situation, you know, with with you know 15, 20 family members, they're gonna yeah. they're gonna have more more support. Even There's also a lot less to be confused or paranoid about in a rural area compared to an right. industrial there's, place. Exactly. Too. There's less there's less stimulation. There's yeah. Less noise, fewer people, you know, less change, and you know it, that's that's true too. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So something I like to end off a podcast episode is, um, how do you think that we as a society can combat the stigma surrounding schizophrenia? Yeah, well, I think you know you're you're doing your your part right here <laughs> by having a podcast on mental health. Um, is you know talking about it um, um, reduces the stigma. Yes. You know when something's hidden and you know it's a secret. You know, that used to be the case, even, you know, in the U.S., um, uh, you know, it was much worse, you know, you know, 30, 40 years ago, people would, you know, keep it a secret. You wouldn't, you wouldn't talk about any mental illness in the family. And, you know, it's not a good, you know, it's not good to have schizophrenia, but, you know, it's treatable and, you know, being open about it and, you know, having the community understand and, you know, be empathic and not Mm -hmm. be scared of it. You know, people are scared of things they don't understand. And, you know, if you, if you help people with education, like you're doing in your podcast, you're going to reduce that that factor of people being scared of something and being more open-minded to, you know, to be empathic and to be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a great answer. That's all the questions I have for you today. So thank you, Dr. Smith, um, for coming on. It was a pleasure talking to you. It was a um, pleasure talking to you, Deshaun. Thank you yeah. for having me. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check out the link in the description to the Mind Maladies website. See you guys in the next episode.